and welcome back to the Dreamcast. I am your host, Denise Walsh. I combine science, scripture, and stories that will inspire you to dive deep, break through your own personal glass ceiling, and design a life of your dreams. Hello, hello. Big welcome back to the Dreamcast. Our next guest, well, two guests you'll hear from today are entrepreneurs. So they started their company in 2009, but they didn't always start out that way. One guest was a Navy SEAL and one was spent a year as a photojournalist and they have a quite the background. But what you'll find is that when you are in transition and you want something different, even if it's not easy, it's always worth it. So I'm super excited to hear about what they were doing prior to creating their strict paleo treats product and and why they chose to create this specifically, but then the ups and downs along the way. Because as they say, that 10-year overnight success, they've been in business for almost 10 years, which means I know that they've learned a lot on their journey. So please welcome the owners of Paleo Treats, Nick Hawks and Lee Selman. Right Thank on. you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for having us on. Well, I'm excited to connect with you. I know you live in sunny San Diego, California. I feel like so many cool things happen out that way. So Nick, I'll start with you. You were a Navy SEAL prior to being an entrepreneur. Can you tell us a little bit about what life was like before 2009? Yeah, it was actually well before 2009. I joined the Navy in 1995 um, and I was out by 2000, did some contracting afterwards, but that experience as a young man, as a say 17 to 23 year old, shaped the way I, I view the world. And it wasn't until I met Lee that I started to think that maybe I could run a business and really think out of the box. Because up until then, you know, despite the common wisdom, anyone in the military kind of thinks inside a, a general box. And once I met Lee and kind of realized that, oh, maybe there's there's more to this thing than thinking within these lines. That's when when I began to expand my mind and. And think about running a business or being an entrepreneur or, or starting, or, you know, running my own show. Yeah, that that's really interesting. I was you know, grew up in the suburbs, and I feel like I was taught go to school, get a job, stay there for thirty years, like very employee mindset. Tell me what to do, and I'll do it. And there's a whole other world out there that we're not necessarily taught in school. And I can imagine being in the military. You were kind of taught to follow orders and do the thing and you know all of all of <laughs> like a whole nother level. So what was it like transitioning out of the military into the civilian life? That was this is pretty difficult. I think all of us go through that same same thing when we make a transition from a very rigid structure um, and a very understandable framework to something that is super amorphous that has apparently very few rules and you realize that anything is possible and that sounds like a really cool thing, but when up until then, you know, there are only a few courses to to follow. And now there's no course at all. It, it can be, be pretty difficult. So one of the things I did right off the bat is I had a little bit of money saved. I borrowed a bunch more and bought a little sailboat and sailed it from San Diego down through the Panama Canal and then up to Florida on the other side. And that was a little bit of a, a metaphor for me of being on this kind of trackless place in the ocean. But knowing that in general, I was going south until I hit the canal. And then I was going to go north until I you know, basically hit America and then turn right um, and, and get to Florida. And that allowed my my mind to kind of make a little bit of a shift from 
such a regimented schedule to making a lot more of my own decisions um, and making those decisions in what I began to understand was was really reality. Um, and that that's the ocean or that's any kind of outdoor big natural environment where you have to work within, you know, really the, the rules of, of physics and they they matter out there. And a lot of the stuff in society doesn't matter so much whether you're not whether you're nice or not, but whether you're a good salesperson or you get along with people or whatever, like those things can shift uh, really fast and really fluidly. But physics doesn't shift. You know, big wind is always big wind. Big waves are always big waves. Things can get super scary out there and you have to shape your mind around it rather than having it shape its mind around you, which is how human communication works. Ooh, that's so interesting. And you're right. I think sometimes when we say the world's your oyster, you can do anything. People can shut down in that spot because they're like, I don't even know what I want for dinner. Like, how am I going to know what I want to do for the rest of my life? So you gave your 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 body and your brain some space to kind of calm down. How long was that trip? Uh, it was about five and a half months. And I got okay. lucky enough uh, about two and a half months into it through a, a series of events to meet up with Lee, um, who is, you know, I met her in a breakfast cafe and she ended up, we ended up getting married. Aww. And she was the not, one. Not that, right after. Not right That's after. That's so yeah. cute. Did you <laughs> join him on the boat? No. Uh-uh. <laughs> like that's a documentary or something. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, despite getting an invite. No. Yeah. So once I met Lee, and maybe Lee, you can talk about this a little bit. That was when the kind of the unraveling of of my mind as a military person started. And I, and I began to see more of the possibility. And Lee, maybe you can talk about kind of how you discovered that yourself or what you saw happening in me. Yeah, my I kind of started um I grew up pretty feral. I grew up in New Mexico and I grew up in a trailer park in New Mexico and it had a lot of freedom, which was really cool. So it was always kind of a fend for yourself type situation. So, which is actually an awesome place because then you get to exercise this thing inside of you that, you know, what do I want to do? What do I want to create? What do I want to be? So I've always, you know, been dove into being an entrepreneur. I mean, I started, you know, when I was in my early 20s, I started, uh, um, I worked down, I got a degree in holistic health and I worked down at the cancer clinics down in Mexico, lecturing about juices. Uh, back then, cancer clinics were located down there for alternative therapy. So that was fascinating. I got to see a lot of really interesting things taking place in the health field. And I, early on, I uh, in my 20s, I, I traveled a lot. So I wanted to across uh, North Africa by foot, across the Sahara. So I decided I, you know, I wanted another documentary. Holy cow. Yeah. (laughs) I actually never crossed it, but it was, it's a really cool story. I decided I better start working with camels. And so I started tracking down camels, right? I just knew that, you know, in America, and I just knew they were, you know, going to be the mode of transportation. So I thought, so I eventually made my way to a zoo and to actually physically see a camel and they had left. And I said, what do you mean they left? And they said, there's a camel farm in Kokomo, Indiana. It's one of the largest camel farms in the world. And I said, oh, I've got to go there. So I went and I begged the guy for a job and he said, no, no, no. And I eventually wrote him a letter and I said, hey, I'm going to you're going to cause a divorce because I'm going to have to go to Australia to work with camels. And he hired me and I helped on with the farm and for got beat up 
I was uh, helped run spit the farm. Beat up by the animals. Beat yeah. up by the animals. You know, you yeah. spit on? Oh, yeah. They actually <laughs> regurgitate. So oh, it's, wow. uh, they don't form a spitball. They, uh, they hawk food on you. Okay. So it's <laughs> Well, I just have to ask because I feel like dreams, you have to see something in order to start dreaming. Yeah. It. So where did that dream get birthed in you? I don't know. I, you know, it was a weird, I've always loved journeys. So if whether it's a train journey, a journey on foot, I, that's something I just am super passionate about. So I just dreamed up this thing of North Africa. And I mean, who knows where this love comes from, right? Like that. And uh, yeah. from the camel farm, I ended up meeting a nomad from the desert. And then I ended up going to the Sahara with him for, I think we were there for three weeks. And that was the first time I'd been there, actually had physically been in the Sahara. And I was amazed. That I remember the first night I was out with a bunch of nomads, my friend's family that I'd met from the farm. And I was like looking up at the sky. And if you've never been to the Sahara from one point of the horizon to the other point, you're like in a fishbowl of stars. It's just so amazing. And they were look, the nomads were looking at me like, what are you staring at? You know, and I, it was just such a, an amazing point in my life where all these dreams that I had worked for had come together in that moment at that night. And I was just like, it was just like a, you know, beam of light, but, and then uh, soaking it all in. So, and then I ended up trying to ask people to go across the Sahara with me and they thought I was all crazy. And my friend that I met from the farm, the nomad, I ended up going to business with him with an expedition company in Mali. And so that was a really cool experience because he actually did the expeditions and I actually ran the company from here, from the States. But I remember the first morning when somebody wrote in to get a tour and I was thinking, I don't know what this person's talking about, what they want. And I just remember, I just started walking in that direction to figure the stuff out. And two weeks down the road, I knew more than I had two weeks before. You know, sometimes it's just start walking down the path, start learning. And then two weeks down, you're going to be better than you were two weeks ago. And so it's just, you know, pushing through that. And this is all before you met Nick? Yep. This is all right before I met Nick. Yep. Okay. So you, you met Nick in a cafe. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about what you noticed in him coming from the strict military where, I mean, it's interesting because when you grow up in society and and in the military and, and I mean, even in the suburbs, there's these, there's cultural rules, right? And it sounds like you've kind of always been outside of that thinking outside the box, being creative, trying new things. I mean, you've had quite quite the adventures, uh, not just stay at a job for 30 years, hate your life and then retire, which is kind of what I was taught. So you already came from this out of a box perspective. And then you met Nick. Tell me what that was like. Um, Well, I started working at the cafe. um, Just to make a long story short, I started working at my business partner with the Desert Expedition Company ended up getting killed. And, you know, our business had been was taken off, it was all doing really well. And then there was a tragic accident over there. And and so I started waiting tables. Everything kind of went into arbitration. And I started waiting tables. I just lost one of my best friends. And Nick, that was like a month later, Nick comes walking up to the cafe and he's got this wild blonde hair. Nothing that you would think military it would be. Wild blonde hair. He was in board shorts. This was in Indiana. And I said, that guy's from Southern California. 
you know, it was like February in Indiana and he had Uggs on and, you know, board shorts and sat in my section. He was with his mom and dad. He was uh, 23 years old. So just to give you some reference, I was 35 at the time. So, you know, you look at it and you're just like, it's got like one nice stand all over it, right? Nothing (laughs) like 23, right out of the military, you know, like, you know, from a 35 year old, you're looking at it like it's, you know, and I was pretty distraught over my friend. And I, so he came up to me, you know, I was chatting with him. His boat was in Nicaragua. So I was talking to him about Nicaragua a little bit. And then he comes up, comes up to me afterwards and he said, Hey, would you like to go listen to some music tonight? And I was like, Oh, let me think about it. You know, so I gave him my number and his story is, you know, I got her number within five minutes and I was like, Oh, it was the number to the restaurant you know, and he was leaving the next day. So I, you know, he called the restaurant and he goes, Oh, the band starts at eight. And I was like, Oh, you know, I really don't want to go, but have fun on your sailing trip. And he was like, what? You know, this, you don't want this, you know? And then uh, we ended up staying in touch via email and we had such an awesome email chain. Every time he went into the port on a sailing trip, he would, you know, we would email Uh, back and forth. And it was great talking about, you know, life and books and travel and adventure. And, and uh, he ended up making it to Florida. And then he flew back up to Indiana. And I had forgot what he looked like. I forgot what he sounded like. And, you know, this was like four or five months later, and he ended up showing back up on in Indiana. And we'd been together ever since. The rest is history, huh? Yeah, it's pretty, pretty wild. And it's, um, it's been awesome. It's been, I don't know, like 17 years. So I love that you were a journey person. You were an adventure person. And then when Nick came home from the military, he went on his own adventure in his own journey. Did you see his mindset start to shift throughout those months, even through email? Um, A little bit. I think he's always been, you know, he's always been pretty fascinated about exploring and stuff like that. And I think a lot of those team guys are, you know, we know a lot of them as friends and they're all fascinating men. And they're not really your run of the mill. They're all into something really wild and fascinating. So he's, he's pretty typical in that sense, you know, and he's also what he, one thing he learned from the military that I've learned in business that he's brought to the table is leadership, such good leadership that you get from the military and structure. And it's something that I don't really have any experience in. I have experience in like creativity and like, yeah, let's do this. We can do anything. And he's more, you know, this is how it's going to get done. These are the steps. So it is a good fit. It's a good fit. I work with my husband as well. We both work full time on our business. And nice. um, it's, it's, it is fun to use your gifts and strengths in your zone and like yeah. have it mesh. So yeah. you're kind of the visionary and he's the finisher. Like yeah, totally. you both need each other, right? Yeah. Are you guys the same way or? Yes. Well, he's the visionary and I'm the finisher. Oh, nice. That's great. <laughs> well, that's what I feel I'm, about I'm, us too. Yeah. yeah I'm really good at like, give me the roadmap. I'll do it. I'm nice. disciplined, all of that kind of stuff. And I feel like he sees things outside the box and he's always questioned yeah. the status quo a bit. Whereas I'm like a rule follower. And so yeah, it's been kind awesome. of fun for us to grow. But yeah, it can like, you know, you can butt heads sometimes, but we always say, uh, <laughs> I'm an immo- in Nick's a, oh, I'm an unstoppable force and he's an immovable object. So like you get those sometimes. 
<laughs> you know, we've had to develop uh, structures to to uh, deal with, you know, disagreements. disagreements. Right. So, it's, yeah, yeah. 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 Even that we'll definitely talk about how you guys work together. Cause I even know, I, I know from experience that that is, is sometimes a challenge, but Nick, tell me a little bit more. Once you got back, you kind of unraveled, you started to see things a little bit differently. Was paleo treats the first company you started? No, gosh, it was the eighth or the ninth. So I came back and, and tried to follow that same path that you've talked about, go to school, get a job, you know, I thought I was going to be an elementary school teacher and swim in the Olympics and kind of had my whole life planned out. And all of it turned out to be wrong. <laughs> um, and I think it was in 04 that I started the first business and I'd gone over to Iraq as a contractor and seen that the way they were building over there wasn't, it could be done a lot better. And so I thought that I could be the person to make that happen. And it turned out, you know, again, I was completely unprepared for that and had a, a really good idea, but no understanding of how to execute on it. And then that started kind of a series of Lee and I starting our own businesses. Lee had always always worked for herself, so she'd been a mortgage broker and you know worked in that, especially in the uh, the real estate boom, had done really really well. But we began to kind of hone in on this thing of, of maybe we can work together on this same thing on our own thing and build you know something that is that is a, a thing that we can both contribute to. And so we had a t-shirt company that went into Nordstrom and Fred Siegel. And we kind of figured out some good parts, but we'd also made some pretty bad mistakes um, financially. And, and that went ended up going under. So we went bankrupt out of that one and lost kind of everything we'd worked for. Um, had a couple houses and a piece of land and all kinds of stuff. And we're kind of left at the end of that with nothing but the, but the house we had, um, had you know, that we lived in. And so from there, we started to rebuild. And it's, it's like once that entrepreneur bug bites and you realize the the benefits of working for yourself and, and and you realize that it's a good fit for you. And I think this is an important piece to kind of pause at and say it's not a good fit for everyone despite what is kind of put out there by the general media. You know, it's working for yourself is it's for a special person and that and that person can't work for other people. And there are people out there who who can't work for themselves. And see, you know, encouraging people to work for themselves when they're not ready for it. It's like putting a toddler on the freeway, you know, they're mm -hmm. just not ready for it. They need to be in a, in a different space. Or they don't thrive in it. Or they don't thrive, yeah. yeah. So we begin to kind of see, okay, what are the businesses we can do together? And we had a welding business and a notary business and the t-shirt, t-shirt company, um, the the building oh, ATM company, business. Right? We had an ATM business, like a bunch of stuff. And, and most of them failed. Some of them did all right. Um, and eventually we kind of came into paleo treats as a confluence of what we were doing in our personal lives. So we were eating paleo and, and realized there was, there was no dessert at the time in 2009. And we'd also just gone bankrupt over this other company and had a little bit of, of breathing room and also space to think about what we wanted to do. And all of that came together to kind of force us into forming, into forming paleo treats. It's amazing what you take from companies that you've, have you failed? So it's you know we had a the clothing company and we were really picky about the the clothing uh, the t shirt. We were picky about what went on it. And to this day, I have people come up to me and say, "God, I wish you guys made those again." And so we took that same uh, standard or value you know values for quality and we put that into paleo treats, which is you know we're really picky about taste. Been around for ten years, only come out with seven, and people you know. It's, you know, we've got this little cult following of people with our stuff. So it's amazing what you, 
adopt from all your businesses, whether they failed or not. Yeah, we always say success is really failing forward, right? Where you take action and you just learn from it. And regardless of if it actually makes money or not, you've learned something every single step of the way. So I'm assuming you also, you know, made connections and learned expanded your your brain cells for you learn more right over yep. those years so tell me i'm we i work for a health and wellness company we love eating healthy we totally align with whole food you know all of that stuff i'm interested in your switch even to paleo personally tell me a little bit about why and and what you experienced when you made that transition and then we can move into your products uh, we had a friend uh, in the military that moved in with us, stayed with us for a while, and he had eaten paleo since he was 04. And I had always eaten pretty healthy, but I didn't really pay attention to you know the the grains and stuff. And and so he moved in, and it was easier just to all eat paleo because we all ate dinner together. So started eating paleo, you know, getting rid of you know the gluten, the grain, and the dairy, basically anything that's going to kind of cause a reaction in your system possibly. And two weeks into it, we were just like, wow, man, my energy is way up. And I think that's one of the first things you'll real, you'll feel is you just, you don't get that slump in the middle of the day. And we were like, wow, there's something to it. You know, two to three weeks into it, we were, um, you know, missing dessert. So we ended up, that's how paleo treats ended up starting. I think that was the biggest thing is just how we felt. We felt yeah. better. And then we thought as it went on, we would probably slack off a little bit and do it 80-20. But you get into this mode of listening to your body more. And so you realize, wow, when you eat something that feels you know junky, you really feel it. And you don't really want to go back to it. So Nick and I are pretty strict. You know, Food becomes fuel to feed your body and feed your cells. And, and it doesn't really it's not based on emotion. Like, what do I feel like having? I feel like having a pizza, you know? So you just, uh, you just start looking at food, food different. You do. I, yeah, I did a bodybuilding competition a few years ago, which totally changed my view of food and how it nourishes me. And and I cut out dairy at that time. Inflammation went way down. Yeah. And I think what you want, like, you you know, what I want this changes because you don't really want that stuff eventually because you know, it makes you feel like sluggish and gross. And And I always tell people, why not try it? You know, like you're on this planet for 70, 80 years. Why not take a section of time, whether it's two weeks or a month and see how healthy you can eat, you know, how much nutrition you can put into your body and see how, why not? Why not try it? Why not explore that? You know, why not take a little journey? Yeah, it's a journey. It's pretty cool. Well, and I bet when you're eating this way, you'll probably live even longer. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Lee, I do have a question for you because you are also working in the holistic arena back in the in your twenties. So this really kind of aligns with your previous passion of health and wellness and treating sickness and disease holistically and trying all natural options and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, I got a degree in holistic health, which was awesome introduction to a lot of stuff like Reiki and, you know, crystals and, you know, New Mexico's a lot like that and chakras and all that stuff. So that was a really cool introduction. Acupuncture, massage. Acupuncture, massage, rolfing, all that stuff. And then uh, 
I ended up hooking up with somebody who owned Norwalk Juicers. And I ended up, you know, back then you drank a lot of juice. And I ended up working with him and I lectured down at the clinics down in Mexico. And uh, the Gerson Institute was really popular back then. And they were treating, you know, terminally ill people with bombarding the body with nutrients. They did a lot of juice, which looking back on it, I don't, I don't know if they still do that in their program, but they drank a lot of like carrot juice and and uh, I saw a lot of people get better. I saw a lot of people not get better. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's approach. It's a holistic approach to your body and how you think and how you feel and what are you doing for exercise and are you allowing your body to heal itself? And there's a lot, so many factors that are involved. And I think it's even more fascinating now because of everything that they're doing now with epigenetics and what the stuff they're doing at MIT and Stanford, it's so fascinating and it's moving so fast. And now the ketos come in and what they're doing with that. And so it's, it's amazing. It's really fascinating. It is. And we really do have the ability to heal ourselves from the inside out. And a lot of it has to do with the environment we give ourselves. You know, mm -hmm. you can put your a cell in a toxic environment and it will die or shrivel up, or you could put that same cell in a healthy, thriving environment and that cell will thrive. So I told my, my this is how I get my seven-year-old cheap vegetables. <laughs> we need our body to have a healthy environment. So that way we have more energy and we're more chipper and things like that. And so yeah. you guys had an experience in that, but then the paleo was something you really connected to personally because you saw results. Nick, what type of results did you see when you started eating this way and cutting out all the infl inflammatory stuff? Well, I was, uh, I had these really strong allergies to dogs, but really until we started eating paleo and, and I decided kind of all. And is that, that a dog behind you? Did I see? There's three of them in the room with us. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I think I swear I saw a dog. Yeah, from zero okay. to <laughs> uh, the allergies. And part of that is definitely due to paleo. Um, there was a, a big, long process that was a couple of years worth of trying all these things that Lee was talking about. And she was the one that opened up my mind to maybe thinking beyond Western medicine. Because I remember right when I got out of the Navy, I'd gone to the doc and said, hey, I'd I'd like to get a dog. How do I become allergy free? And he said, Oh, it's going to be, you're going to have a shot every week for the rest of your life. I said, well, that's not worth having a dog for me. And he said, you'll still have some symptoms. So it just didn't math didn't add up for me. Um, but then we, at one point when we moved into this house, we said, well, we're going to get a dog and I'm going to fix these allergies because I'd had a, a couple experiences where I didn't have any symptoms at all in a house. And then a dog would you know, stranger's house or friend's house, the dog would kind of walk around the corner, or a cat would walk around the corner, and all of a sudden, all the symptoms would be there. And I thought, oh, this I, is... I thought it was totally psychological. It was a mind, huge yeah. benefit. You know, it's a huge uh, psychological thing for him. So that was just a, noticing. Yeah, a big piece of it. But once we started eating paleo, that, you know, this goes into how people change behavior. But that gave my mind the structure to feel like I could do something physically that would complement what I was doing mentally, which was affirmations and all kinds of, of healing stuff, um, electrode therapy, acupuncture, massage, you know, anything I crazy diets, anything I could find. And they all helped a little bit, but paleo was kind of this really strong framework for me to build on top of. And over the course of about a year and a half after I went paleo, um, I completely cured the, the dog allergy. It was interesting because he said, I'm, you know, I think I'm ready to get a dog. And I was like, Hey, when we get a dog, we're not going to, the dog's not going to go back. It's going to be our dog for life. And so whatever symptoms you're going to have, you're just going to 
so he, you know, he picked out this dog he wanted and, and, uh, he brought the dog home and Nick was like miserable. He was like, and he was writing affirmations. He got Louise Hayes book and he was every day. He has a book of affirmations that he wrote and he would, you know, he bend over and just snot would just pour out of his nose. He was that bad. And at night he just couldn't, he was asthmatic, so he couldn't breathe and he would, you know, and I kind of hooked in my head is like, you know, he got a lot of attention with that when he was his whole life, you know, are you okay? And so I was thinking, we made an agreement, like I wasn't going to give him any attention when he, you know, I wasn't going to encourage like, oh, are you okay? So I couldn't say anything, which was, you know, I felt bad. And he eventually worked through that all with Louis, you know, help with Louise Hayes affirmations. And, and uh, it was amazing. And he was that bad. It was bad. And <laughs> well, and I, I love that affirmations really aren't necessarily about what life looks like now. It's all about what you want life to look like. Right. So you're mm-hmm. like, you know, I mean, what were they? I'm a dog lover. I am so grateful for the three dogs who roam around and I feel so healthy, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, all that but you kind of like speak that and, and then, and it happened for you. That's amazing. Yeah, yep. it was pretty cool. It was a pretty cool experience. You know, it's, it was, it was neat. Yeah, yeah, it's a combination of, you know, physical environment and mental environment and a little bit of acknowledging that we humans at this point in time don't fully understand how the world works. And so we have to be open to it working, even though we don't understand it. And that yeah, just like gravity, yeah. we don't quite get it, but, but you we don't fight it you're going down. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, so a couple of questions about paleo treats itself. I see in um, the notes that I have that there's seven pillars of paleo. What does, what does that mean? That's funny that that's changed over the years, but what we saw those seven pillars have changed as, as we've refined really our understanding of, of paleo. Um, we saw when we first went paleo that really a lot of people were focusing on just the diet, you know, what do you eat? And then it became a little bit like, when do you eat it? So some of the intermittent fasting stuff, but it was still focused on what you're putting in your mouth and, and how nutrition affects you. And we saw, cause I'd come from a you know fairly physical background and I was doing CrossFit. You know, that was really, those were our, that was our first audience that movement or, or exercise was also a part of what we thought of as paleo. And we began to expand, expand that lens of understanding. So really when you're going, going paleo, um, what we had, advisor advocate is is kind of stepping into that um, mindset of what was life like for people over um, 10,000 years ago? What was life like before there was farming? And then how do we take a lot of those principles and apply them to what our life can be like now? And you don't have to, you know, obviously people are like, I'm not going to live in a cave or, you know, never cut my hair or whatever. Like, okay, that stuff is not as important. But there are these things that keep surfacing as being healthy and supportive of humans thriving. So one of them is nutrition. um, One of them is movement. So how we exercise. And whether that's walking around the block with your dogs or a CrossFit workout or ultra marathons or triathlons. Gardening. Gardening, like just just that movement idea. Uh, One of them is restoration. And so we used to call that sleep. And then as we kind of thought about it more, we thought, well, there's there's time for meditation as well. And there's time for downtime and all and thinking about if you're going to put in the, the movement and the nutrition, you need time to restore from that stuff. So whether you're fasting when it comes to nutrition, 
or you're taking a day off when it comes to movement like that that restoration piece is important um, community is is an important part of a healthy life so some of us are introverts like Lee and some of us are extroverts like me, but we all need a connection kind of web of people around us. And then we decide how we're going to interact with that, that web of people. But nobody that I've ever met seems happy living completely by themselves and isolated. So it's like a natural human condition, but it's not something that everyone pays attention to. Um, so there's community and then there's time in nature. Um, and, and these all start to kind of work into each other. So time and nature and restoration and community and food and all that goes together. You put together even a, a backyard barbecue um, and you have your friends over. And so all these things are starting to, to come together. But for Lee and I, time and nature is, has been really um, not just restorative, but essential to, to being healthy. And then the sixth one is uh, your mindset. So how you think. And this is something that it's more difficult now, funnily enough, with more information on how to think than I, than I believe it used to be, is that we used to have this really wide open um, view of how the world worked. And, and we learned really organically and in a way that is almost impossible today um, because there were so few restrictions or guidelines. So a, a lot of the mental piece is just kind of thinking about how you think and thinking about what your thoughts are and what's important and, and saying, okay, you know, for social media, that can be a really powerful piece if I focus on the community building side of it. It can be a really negatively powerful piece if I focus on comparing myself to other people, right? Because almost all of us on social media live this really curated life, right? I'm not going to put on Facebook the time that I fight with Lee and we're really upset at each other. I'm going to put the time when I went paragliding and it was a peak experience. You know, and I think that's just a, something that we all want to do is share the positive and not really share the negative. Um, and then the last pillar that that we think of now is music. And this is a, a new one that we've added recently, but I see that every human I've met responds to music in some way. And I, I think we're going to continue to refine that idea further of maybe it sounds, maybe it's, it's something a little bit more amorphous, but whether you like rock and roll or classical or Spanish guitar or, or whatever techno, it doesn't matter. We all respond to music in a really powerful and healing way. And if you look at some of the ways that people have, have healed themselves, it's through the use of music and vibration. And so all those seven things are, are what make up the seven pillars of paleo and how we kind of help people understand how to be really helpful or uh, how to be really healthy without necessarily spending a million bucks on some crazy program. Or just focusing on diet. You yeah, know, it's or so, just yeah. limiting themselves. To yes. Diet. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you guys are speaking my language. I really, I, I feel like music is such a, an easy way to instantly uplift our mood. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm a type A, I'm a learner. I'm like podcast and bookworm, you know, like drive, you know, that kind of person. Yep. But I've, I've noticed more recently the importance of putting music into my everyday because it just naturally lifts me up. So I love that one. But I was a clinical psychologist before we started our business. And so I love your holistic approach to to your company because you're like, mm -hmm. the food is important. It really, I mean, it is. And it can be a great starting point, but there's so much more that can really make people become the best version of themselves. And 
Yeah. That's really cool. Yep. So I pulled up your website and you have some delicious options here. Tell me a little bit about what products you currently have. How do you make them if there's no flour or grain? And and tell me a little bit more about how this works. Yeah. So we have seven treats. They're all they're pre-packaged. They're gluten, grain, and dairy-free, only sweetened with honey. There's no filler in them. So there's no... Uh, yucca flour or cassava flour or anything like that. It's nothing that takes up a lot of space in the product. So they're very nutritionally dense. And they're, they come in little cups and you a lot of people will chop them up and eat a little sliver here and there. You can store them in the freezer. And they're, the biggest thing is that they taste really good. We wanted to make a product that even if you didn't eat healthy, you would love them. And we just didn't want to make a healthy product. And so we've got a lot of followers that you know don't necessarily eat paleo, but they see the benefit of having a good dessert. You know, if you're going to eat a, something, if you're going to taking calories, you know, why not make it good and why not make it healthy as you can? Well, and I think the the whole like I don't want to say sh- sugar people mm-hmm. whether however they eat right they mm-hmm. are learning that processed foods with high flour and high sugar is really just high in inflammation. Mm-hmm. And and so I agree that even if they're not necessarily full paleo or they would benefit, benefit they, yeah. would, in, they would see the benefit of eating something that's not full of the junk, right? Yeah. And we also talk to people about what are you eating for breakfast? What are you eating for lunch, snack and dinner? You know, if you limit your sugar intake all throughout the day, a little treat at the end of the day is, you know, not going to, you know, kill you. It's going to be a part of supporting mm-hmm. It's going to be a part of supporting the health, yeah. yeah. But most people eat some kind of what we'd think of as dessert for breakfast. They have and then dessert for, for you know or whatever. So it's like dessert three meals a day. No, you can't have dessert after your three desserts. <laughs> yeah, when you think of coffee cake, it's and, really and, just cake. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Coffee flavoring, yeah. <laughs> you know, we saw like it's, you know, it's easy to, you know, grab a recipe and make a pan of brownies off the internet, but can you make a you know, we, we found it difficult to make an epic pan of brownies, you know, so that was also paleo. So we worked really, really hard on our recipes and we've got one that's a flourless chocolate cake. We've got an almond butter cup. That's, that's our lowest in sugar. It's seven grams of sugar. The keto low sugar people love that one. Mustang bars, like an oatmeal cookie. That's another one. That's a low sugar one only has nine grams of sugar. And again, these are dessert. So they're a treat, you know, little treat for you at the end of the day. That supports your healthy. I see cacao powder, almond flour, coconut oil, pecans, honey. I mean, these are whole food ingredients. It's yes. You know, I can pronounce them. Yes. (laughs) You know what they are. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So we that was kind of the directive for us internally was when we're using ingredients. We want them to be real foods, to be whole foods, to be something that you can pronounce and you can understand and, and not worry about is this mono diglucosaccharide, whatever thing, whatever, whatever's out there, is that natural? Not like, nope, honey, almonds, raisins, goji berries. It's not magic. It's just, it does take some work to figure out what the ratios are to make it taste good and fit within a, a paleo framework. Now, what I think is really cool is you guys, you know, you had the background of being a holistic practitioner and, and interested in that. And, and you were in the paleo, eating paleo yourself, and you saw a need. And so you said, okay, I want to, I want to fix this. I want to, I see it, right. I see a need, let's fill it. But you 
didn't have a necessarily experience in the food industry uh-uh. or how to scale, like how to create it and make it. And I mean, I'm sure there was a lot of lessons you learned along the way. So tell me a little bit about the past 10 years business-wise. Yeah. So I, I think the, the biggest part with starting a business is you, you don't have to know what you're doing to start a business. Um, you have to be willing to solve problems when they come up and you have to be willing to constantly expand your mind and think about new ways of doing something. But if you're, if you're driven to find solutions, you're probably going to end up being successful. I mean, you may not, you may run out of um, options before you find that, that good solution. But, you know, we made the first 2000 treats in our kitchen, which is, I mean, it's smaller than the room we're in now, tiny little kitchen, kind of Southern California bungalow, maybe 300 square feet. And we said, we're never going to do that again. That's not a way to... We were hand sealing them, you know, and and uh, our whole brand... Pulling all-nighters. Yeah. Our <laughs> brand was like, you know, very military, military font, airplanes on it, you know, and it's... Uh, they still have like, you know, the names Brownie Bomb, you know, because uh, these two guys were, you know, just out of the military. And then they... We took them up to one of the first CrossFit games up in Aromas at Dave's Ranch and we were thinking, oh, we had 2,000 of them. We'll end up just giving them away. And they ended up selling out the morning of the second day. And we had people that were, you know, I'll take 15 of them. And so then we knew that we had something. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's, uh, it's always a challenge. I mean, there's so many challenges just on a daily basis. And it's been fun. I've been an entrepreneur for 11 years. And yeah. it, because I was an employee mindset, like I, that's kind of the world I came from, I had to learn the entrepreneur mindset, which was vision, which was mindset, which was, you know, you don't, it's not a, it's not a no, it's a not now, or it's a roadblock. It's not a stop sign, you know, those kinds of things. But I've also learned that everything is learnable. You know, if you don't know how to do something, there's probably somebody else who does. So did you guys reach out and meet anybody or partner with mentors or find people that had been down this road before? Well, that's a really great question at this time because this was fascinating. So my, um, I do martial arts and my martial arts teacher yesterday. So we've never really had mentors. Nick and I have been more the mentor to people or helping people or giving people advice and Nick six sits on the entrepreneur, entrepreneurial advisory board of FedEx and he works with Red Bull athletes. And, and just yesterday, my martial arts teacher said, Hey, have you heard of this guy named Dan Locke? And I said, never heard of him. And he goes, well, he's, you know, he's, uh, he's this guy, he's, you know, entrepreneur, he's had 14 businesses that failed. He said, he's, you know, watch his videos and let me know what you think. Cause he goes, I've watched all his YouTube videos and he goes, he, you know, and Nick and I watched his videos last, last night and we were listening to him in the car and he talked about mentors and how much mentors have helped him. And I think that's amazing with being an entrepreneur, you're kind of like a sponge and you learn from these people and then you, it, it just like you absorb this and you're just like, you wake up and you're not the same, you know, you're just like, what did I just learn? You know, and it just elevates you and, you know, learning from people like Elon Musk and, and Ellen and Beyonce and, you know, and looking at those people and Lady Gaga, you know, and Chanel and looking at the, what they have done with their brand. And there's, you can learn from all those people, regardless of whether they're music or artists, you know, they're all like, 
fighting the fight. You know, it's a uh, they're keeping their vision alive. And yeah. I feel like we always have to kind of rekindle our own personal vision because it's always easier to watch Netflix, right? It's always yes. easier to just be like, all right. Or check, <laughs> yeah, it's easy, easy to check out. It is. And but, but, when, but when you've got that bug, you know that that's not really easier, right? Because yes. this is where we're passionate. This is when time goes by fast. This is when we can create momentum and so you went to the the CrossFit Games. You knew yep. you had your hands on something. When did you really start to see that growth within your company? Probably took two years. At mm-hmm. the time, the, so there's three of us that started. My friend Dave, myself, and Lee. Dave ended up leaving the company, I think, after the first two years. But Dave and I both had regular W-2 jobs. I was working as an instructor at the Navy at the time as a civilian instructor. So we had a, I had a regular kind of, it wasn't nine to five, it was six to two, but whatever, a daily job. And that income supported, you know, Lee and I. So we didn't really have to do anything with paleo treats. And it was kind of this fun side thing that we were exploring. And paleo wasn't heard of back then. You know, that right. was the thing. So even it's though... It's so interesting. 10 years ago, you're right. Yeah. It was... Even though it was just, you look at the ingredients and you're just like, it's just real food. It's just whole food. People were so stuck on uh, gluten-free back then. And it wasn't heard of. So that was kind of... So when we met with Whole Foods, they said, well, we don't really know where to put you. We can put you in the gluten-free section, but it's not refrigerated. And it's really small. And we were just like, it's... But Whole Foods, it's, look, it's just real food ingredients, you know? So it was about two years of that. And then I said, look, if we're going to do this, or we said this, you know, kind of came to this conclusion together. If we're going to do this, let's let's go for it. So I quit the Navy job. Um, I picked up a contracting gig for about nine months to build up a bunch of money. So I was going over and working on merchant ships, guarding them in the um, Middle East, and then finished finished that and came back. And we took took that kind of money and time and experience and plowed it all into paleo treats. We hired our first two employees and we got an office outside of the house. And that was when it that was when it really started taking off. So it was 2012, I think. Mm-hmm. And that was when we went from, you know, 30 grand a year to 200 plus. And that was like the first big jump was when we started really taking it seriously. You really had to pivot and and go all in and put more time into it and and go for it rather than a little bit here and there. Yeah, Yeah, I think um, one of the coolest things that always has always stuck with me, two things that I've learned is, you know, don't worry about selling to the masses, worry about making a good product and selling to, you know, the five people that are around you. And that's one thing that I really learned from, uh, I can't Seth Godin. Oh yeah. Seth Godin said that. And he said, if you've got a skateboard company, don't worry about getting the skateboard wheel out to, you know, millions of people worry about the five kids at the skateboard park. And that's been really cool helping build community, especially here in San Diego and then another thing I just heard the other day was uh, rejection is protection. I thought that was a really rad way to look at rejection, rejection, rejection. And it's just protecting you from people that you don't really shouldn't be involved with anyway. And it's steering you towards the path that you need to be on. Um, Ooh, I, thought, I love that. Yeah. Did Isn't you ever food? get into Whole Foods? No, we actually ended up, uh, we talked to Whole Foods, I think it was two years in a row, and they kind of said the same thing. and. That I think 2015, we ended up winning uh, one of the top 10 small businesses in the country through FedEx. And that opened up a whole channel of us becoming experts in shipping perishable foods. 
We got access to their labs. We came in as advisories to FedEx about it. And so we ended up just shipping direct to consumer mostly. We're in about 50 stores in the country, uh, more small mom and pop stores and health, you know, wellness centers, gyms, stuff like that. And then we also have a retail store. So we're kind of hitting it on those three fronts. And very cool. And and I see that you can even you have a website, yep. paleotreats.com, but yep. you also are on Amazon. Yep. Yep. On Amazon. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Plans to expand there. So I think that's the you know, that's one of the really cool things about being alive now in 2018, 2015, whatever, is that you can build a tiny little niche company for paleo desserts and exist online and make make the money that you need to make just online and you don't have to go through grocery stores or middlemen. You can, it's a fun part of it, or it's a can be an important part, but you get to decide as the entre- entrepreneur, what do you want to do and what's important to you? I think um, also you said a really amazing word, which I wanted to, it's pivot. You have to, that you pivot, we pivot so much and, you know, not in a bad way, but you have to be able to pivot because if something's not working, you have to be able to move into the direction that something's working and you have to be able to pivot your mindset. And it's like focused flexibility. Yes. <laughs> yep. Like yeah. I, my eyes are where I'm going, but the road, the journey, like it'll change yeah. and I got to learn. I got to adapt. You got to adapt. Kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I have two questions left for you. Lee, one of the things you've said is that you are really interested, like you love the journey. You've done like crazy things. You've, you know, gone to the Sahara. You are a photojournalist in Nicaragua. You've done a lot of crazy, fun experiences. And you've also talked about following your inner voice, like trusting your intuition. And and it seems like doing those things is because you kind of just followed, like you said, just keep saying yes, just keep saying one, one step at a time and the how will figure itself out. Tell me a little bit more about trusting that intuition, trusting your gut, because it's taken you on some pretty crazy adventures. Yeah, I think as a woman... We need to listen to our that voice inside. And for pretty much, you have to build up confidence of trusting that voice. And a lot of it, you know, you may not have that confidence at a young age, but as you get older, you're going to realize that, wow, this is a guiding voice that we women have that's amazing. And it's kind of like the universe talks through us. You know, Nick and I talk about this all the time. You know, he's very driven, you know, the men kill, kill, kill. And these women, us as women, we see this wide view. And it's just a matter of trusting that voice and being also being quiet enough to have to listen to what that voice is saying. Get still. And in that stillness of that moment and, you know, listen to what it's saying and actually listen to your body and you know, is what, you know, maybe I don't have to be a runner, you know, maybe running doesn't work for me. Maybe it hurts my joints, but walking does, you know, and so getting out of your own way of your head of what you should be, what you should be doing, you know, and, you know, every, we're all different. So you got to listen to your little guiding voice. Yeah. Allow that little knowing. Cause it's, you know, when I think it's interesting when we talk about this, trusting your intuition or building that intuition, building the in, that listening ear, it can seem kind of far away for people that have never experienced it, but it's not necessarily like an audible voice. It's more of a, of a knowing 
right? Where it just kind of, you can feel pulled or touched or connected in in some level. And you listening to your own intuition and your own gut, like, is that what drew you to all these adventures throughout your life? Yeah. And also, I dealt with my dad passing away when I was little. And maybe I had this thing in my life of like how short life is. And you know, what am I going to do with this? What am I going to experience it? I've always wanted to see something if I felt like if there was, you know, I'd gotten into, you know, wanting to be a war correspondent at one point and being a photojournalist. So I was like, I really needed to experience what a war was like and it, what was going on with the people and the place and what it really meant. And, you know, what you, you know, you read about it in the news and on the, in the paper, but what is it really like on the ground? And I was lucky I got to hang out with a photojournalist for the LA Times. This was during the Iran-Contra War. And it was really interesting what actually happened and then what actually appeared in the paper. So I think if you have some inkling of something you want to experience, like I love the violin, then you should dive into what are those like? What are the people like? What are the people who make it? You know, what are the people who create the symphonies for the violin and stuff. So I think if you have this desire, you should explore it just for joy, for happiness. Yeah. You know? And it, it seems like you've... Checked the box. Why yeah, not? Yeah. You, you've listened to those desires creep in, but then you take action in them. You yeah. know, you, you went and experienced the war firsthand. You found a camel <laughs> to connect with yeah. you like, found the nomad in the Sahara Desert. Like those are things that wouldn't come to you. They're things that because you took action, yeah. you you know, like it's like those coincidence. It's never a coincidence, right? No. You were kind of divinely guided to these to these spaces and you met people who could help you check off those boxes. And that's pretty cool. Yeah. And I think also like I for women, I think like, you know, what is the I am? You know, finish the sentence, you know, go through you know, 70, 80, 90 years of, wow, I am a pilot. You know, what, when you walk into a room at a party, you know, what are you going to, what are you going to tell people? What do you want to talk about? You know, the, the I am's, I'm an artist. I know what it's like to be an artist. I'm an entrepreneur and fill that, fill that blank, you know, explore those things. I'm a swimmer, you know, learn to swim at, you know, 50. If you want to do, if you want to learn how to swim, you know, those also feel, you know, think about those desires and just like, why not try it? Mm, that's awesome. And then Nick, one last question I have for you is on my notes here. I have uh, it, it. You talk about being stoked and keeping that like stokeness going. So can you tell me a little bit about what that means? Yeah, I think it starts with in the way that we humans understand it, almost the opposite concept of what of what Lee was talking about with women um, being, you know, this is something else that Lee and I talk about is women are, are really kind of compassionate and caring and giving and, and non-selfish. And in, in our relationship, like that's how it works is that Lee is super kind of is compassionate and giving and non-selfish and says like, Oh, if you want to do this or want to do that, you can do it for me to, to keep kind of the excitement and that stoke alive. There's an important aspect to being selfish. And so Lee and I learned from each other that, you know, I, I need to be more unselfish and see, she needs to be more selfish. But the example of that is that almost every day I, I take about four hours of the day from 4 p.m. to about 8 p.m. and devote them to flying a paraglider. So that's, 
you know, packing up the glider and driving out to the site and waiting on the site for the winds and the conditions to get right and then launching off and flying for however long I've got and then landing and driving back. You know, the whole thing takes like a three or four hour block. And that is super selfish when it comes to the business and the dogs and my wife and my friends and all the rest. I mean, that's um, a sixth of every day that I devote to this thing. But because I can devote that sixth, um, that, that four hour block, I'm almost always super psyched to be living with the the rest of my life because there's that time to really focus in on what is the most pure form of joy for me. Um, you know, when I, when I fly, I've had these peak experiences. It's as if my every synapse in my brain is dripping dopamine and it's like the super orgasm isn't the right word, but it's a peak experience. It's ecstasy. And to have that on a daily basis means that I can come back and, and give the best of what I've got when it, comes time to be creative at the computer or to work with a team or to lead people or to think about what happens next for paleo treats or how we're going to make our, our pivot or whatever the next thing is, is there's always that well, that reservoir of stoke there that comes from paying attention to and being focused on kind of that, that moment on a daily basis for me of diving into is a direct connection to whatever you want to call it, um, joy or source energy or, or whatever. Um, and making sure that that that's a part of my pattern of daily life. Ooh, I love that. I mean, it, it is true. It's connecting with your joy. And when we feel that pop up and we know what that is for us, creating a space for that, because even if it may take some time away from other things you could be doing, it really is what keeps you filled up so you can then overflow and be your best and show up your best in other areas of your life. Totally. Yep. Okay. Well, if you guys are interested in supporting this couple and their amazing business, and I know I want to eat as close to sugar-free right as possible. And so this totally aligns with the way that I currently eat. I'm very excited. I like wonder if I've totally had these before and not even realized it was you guys because it's definitely something I would pick up and get on Amazon. So go to paleotreats.com or you can certainly check it out on Amazon. I just searched paleo treats and it the brownie bomb pulled right up for me. So is there anything else that you guys want to add before we close today? Now we're Lee and I are just writing down. We're like, oh, let's do a coupon for these guys. So if you want to type in, if you go to paleotreats.com and you type in uh, Dreamcast, we'll do 10% off any order with the uh, coupon code Dreamcast. And that'd be super cool to see. You can always write in the notes, hey, this is where I found you. Um, we, we love hearing about that stuff and seeing kind of how this whole community builds and works. And we all get to support each other and say, hey, here's a resource and there's a source of inspiration and there's a, a way to, for all of us to become kind of healthier, better, better people. Awesome. Are you guys on Instagram or Facebook? Yep. Instagram is at Paleo Treats. That's uh, pretty much Lee's life. Facebook is Paleo Treats fan. Twitter is Paleo Treats. Almost everything is Paleo Treats. We also, also have live chat. So if you get on the site and live chat is up, we're it's usually Nick and I sitting at the computer. Awesome. So, yeah. Fun, 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 fun. Well, it was amazing to hear your stories, your work ethic, your vision, and your, your holistic approach to life. And I know that not just paleo treats as an option, but your whole uh, why behind it is, is going to create a movement and is creating a movement and going to impact a ton of people. So I'm grateful to get to know you and I can't wait to try it for myself. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, thanks. Thanks for having us on. 
you so much for listening today. Head over to denisewalsh.com. Enter your email to subscribe to our list. And I'll be sending out an early bird special coupon. 50% off, in fact, of the Dream Life Workbook when it is launched in just a few months. So if you want to have first dibs, let's get your name on that list. Thanks again. I so appreciate you. And remember to dream big. 